0: Hey Tim, how's
1: it going? It is going fantastic. If it were going any better, I would be the leader of the PPC right now. That's how good it is. Oh, is,
0: is it going well for him at the moment?
1: I don't know. I'm just assuming it's going all right better than better than mine. better my, than the, the liberal party. You know, I'm not party. shooting for the leader of the <laughs> liberal party here. I'm 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 engaging in incrementalism, I guess you could say. Right. So Yeah. All right. That's fair. I'm incrementally happier than I should be. Let's put yeah. it that way.
0: All right. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, what we wanted to talk about today was kind of it's we're starting season two now of Hard uh, on Liberty. And so I wanted to do an assessment of, you know, how you think the first season went and, and what value seen, you seem you think you've gotten out of it and also project forward of what we hope to continue to get out of this. Because when we first started, we planned it to be kind of a systematic walkthrough of potential libertarian platform points. And then we talked about, you know, having a much more focused on the party itself, bringing in candidates, but it ended up just kind of turning into a discussion show with you and me discussing, you know, a wide range of topics from a libertarian objectivist uh, framework and trying to really get to the core of of these issues. Um, and so I think as well, like, as we've continued, it's harder and harder for me to think of Topics because we've covered a lot of the like obvious ones, right? Um, and then two themes that have you know come out of of it as potential like avenues to go down are personal responsibility and also this idea of you know compassion and showing and and men's compassion in particular. Um, yeah. So those are the two things that have distilled out for me in terms of paths forward potentially. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on. Why we ended up shifting the way we did, and what you think you know right now looking back at we've done over you know almost 40 episodes, I think
1: Yeah, no i I, I concur with you. you know it's um, our our <laughs> we, we've gone off on tangents that were unexpected, right and um, a lot of that has to do with I think um, not only you kind of grappling with this philosophy that's kind of new to you and, and trying to square objectivism and libertarianism and where are the differences and where are the similarities and how do they relate but also in me trying to explain this stuff to you because you ask such deep and probing questions uh compared to you know the average joe um it's caused me to to think about these things and so a lot of times i think you'll almost hear me debating myself in some of these podcasts and tr- trying to um trying to grapple with, uh, what this philosophy means and what it's, what, what the conclusions we ought to draw from that are not just in in terms of the political realm, but also the personal realm as well. Right. And so, um, yeah, a lot of these discussions have, you know, that they're, they're certainly haven't taken the structured approach that we initially thought where, okay, we'll just knock off one platform item after another and talk about it and kind of present it. Um, we're, we're getting at the deeper fundamental philosophy principles that undergird how I even think about developing a platform. And I think that's been really helpful to me to help clarify my thought, but I think it, it probably also gives uh, listeners a little bit of insight into how, how we think about the world, uh, you know, from first principles and uh, rather than this kind of tribalistic perspective that they probably get typically with politics which is this is what a conservative is supposed to believe and this is what a liberal is supposed to believe now let's explain why that's right or something like that with with us it's more uh, of kind of a discovery and trying to uncover um, these deeper principles and and it's a constant search that seems like we're never gonna reach you know there's no destination that we can reach at here we can only approach it closer and closer. So it's more of a process, I think. And I think letting people into that process has been, is probably useful for them, but it's, it's really useful for me. And I I think maybe you found it useful too.
0: Yeah, I've definitely found it useful. And I appreciate you thinking that I have like particularly probing questions, but I also want to highlight that I think like the nature of libertarianism is that it's more philosophical than traditionally political, right? Um, my brain has naturally gone that way as I just like got interested in politics, but the whole thing, you know, especially towards the beginning, what we came up against is, well, what is the libertarian policy on this? Well actually mm-hmm. the libertarian policy involves changing how society functions. Because you can't just have a libertarian government force people to do things, right? That's con counter to the very principles. Right. So it's it's yeah. like it's a feedback loop. It's inherent in the political principles of libertarianism that you have to deal with the philosophy and the the first principles
1: well yeah I mean even take something as simple as what should the the rules of the road be right what should we have a speed limit or shouldn't we um, well <laughs> that that is that might be an interesting question but um, it gets to an, a, a deeper underlying question of how who has the right to set these rules and how is that acquired and all those kinds of things right because mm-hmm. you know that's ultimately what we're getting at I, I mean I can make all sorts of Pragmatic arguments about how uh, speed limits are kind of arbitrary, and how we ought to have a different set of rules on the road, and and you know, um, but and maybe even may you know I've heard libertarians argue that drunk driving laws are anti-libertarian, but you know I think again those those make the the wrong point here that the you know it, because if I had a owned a road I probably wouldn't want um intoxicated drivers on that road right so it's not that rule itself that we're against it's who's imposing that rule and 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 then how do you even think of you know and so so yeah you know if someone asks me what my policy is on road rules it's kind of difficult to just come up with a a libertarian platform about rules of the road uh, Mm. because it, it doesn't get at the underlying issue so that's what makes Coming up with a platform very difficult because road rules are something really simple. But let's say healthcare or decentralizing power or um, national defense or privacy laws or or any of these things are contingent on so many other things um, that you have to untangle all these tentacles uh, and almost try to build a society from the ground up. But we're not in that place. We're at a place now where the state has its tentacles so intertwine in everything we do that um, that trying to come up with how we systematically and with purpose remove these tentacles which will have adverse effects for all the other people that are entangled by the other tentacles you know as we remove one tentacle other tentacles might I mean it's a very complex process right so um, so at the end of the day we we come back to first principles and trying to figure out what those are
0: yeah absolutely and I think that you know, definitely for me, this has been a helpful way to do that, especially because my brain has tended towards more of an objectivist framework. And so you're still libertarian. And also I've said, you know, potentially I'm more of a feminine energy, let's say for lack of a better term, and you're more masculine energy or more traditionally masculine in your, uh, you know, in your, in the stuff you like to do. Um, and so it's been an interesting contrast as well um, to kind of have two perspectives on something that in society generally is quite isolated, right? So like you'd think that most liberty-minded people are very similar uh, to one another. So it's been interesting for me to get like a contrast sounding board rather than people who tend to agree with most of my uh, premises as I discover them. But I'm interested to ask if anything, what do you think about that? And also if anything in particular has stuck out for you you know, when you, when you reach back and try and reflect on the 30 or so episodes we've done so far?
1: Well, I I think one of the things that's really stood out for me is, you know, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but, um, having a civil discussion where I get the feeling that, that you are open to changing your mind, just like I'm open to changing my mind has made me a lot more sympathetic and open to hearing and being persuaded by your position, right? By the objectivist Mm. position. And I I don't know if, uh, if you feel the same way in terms of, uh, being a little bit more sympathetic towards anarcho capitalism or something like that. But Mm. I, 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 certainly feel that way about objectivism and, and just questioning my own assumptions and wondering, you know, if I've been too harsh, but, you know, one of the things that I think has colored my, view of objectivism for example has been the way other objectivists argue the points and and do so you know very dogmatically and without any kind of curiosity about why they might be wrong or what arguments you have against them Um, you you certainly don't have that attitude and so i think that there is a lesson there um about how to engage in conversations with people that help both of you arrive closer to the truth
0: yeah and I appreciate that. And I I do agree with that, that I've enjoyed our conversations because of your, your approach. And I can feel that you're sympathetic to my arguments. And, and I think the, the goal, the thing is ultimately we are on the same side. We're both looking for the truth, right? Right. And neither of us are dogmatic saying we have the truth. We say, we're, we think we have the truth. Like we think we know the right answer, but we're, we want to advance our knowledge, right? That's the approach that's needed in any science, is like people wanting to advance their knowledge. And that's so contrasted with not only the mainstream political schools, but most people in our, let's call it fringe ones, with libertarians and with objectivists, they still hold that theirs is the truth. And it's Mm -hmm. like, no, okay, maybe you're right, but if you want to get further, even having the approach of you could be wrong even furthers your own understanding of why you're right um and so the the specific episode that stuck out to me is a more recent one that was when we did, talked about the nature of government right and so we talked for an hour and a half and it was really interesting to me and it's because we were so close and it was like okay no where is literally the difference and we wanted to get to like there is some right. clear difference and so it was it ended up being like the difference in in practicality is very small like in terms of implementing these systems but there's a fundamental difference in principle to the approach Um, but like that was just so interesting and you can only even hope to get to that actual understanding of the specific difference when you're willing to you know be open to that other person's opinion to that degree and i found it's been hugely refreshing um, to talk to you because like even I once in a while begrudgingly or accidentally or for some reason still feel the need to post something on Facebook and right away the reaction is as if I'm dogmatic right like so they're dogmatic but they're they wouldn't claim dogmatism they're projecting it onto me I'm clearly dogmatic right and so Mm. it's just it's it's not I mean pleasant and it's also not productive for anyone
1: yeah and and, you know social media is kind of um, has design, uh, limitations, right. In terms mm-hmm. of having conversation. I mean, you, you can't have this kind of conversation on social media. And so it becomes, uh, basically virtue signaling. Um, you know, it has, it's certainly useful, but it has its limitations in, in conversation. You know, um, one, one of the, I think the interesting thing is, you know, you had mentioned, uh, I think before we started the podcast, how you have stopped even engaging in people that, don't, um, that, that see no objective reality or, or think Mm -hmm. that there's no objective ethics or something like that. And I think that that's a great point. You know, I think it's important to triage these conversations. Um, but one of the things that, um, is that, that I think, is a challenge for those of us who are trying to spread these ideas is to understand how to be more persuasive, right? And I think that our conversation kind of models out a little bit. Um, Peter Boghossian uh, has really kind of been influential. He's a a philosopher and author. He wrote uh, a book called A Manual for Creating Atheists, and more recently, How to Have Impossible Conversations. And one of the things he talks about is, is um, the, the attitudinal disposition of the person you're talking with, right? How that's the, the most important thing to address first before you start, you know, because people can't be reasoned out of what they weren't reasoned into, right? And, yeah. and we are all kind of Gordian knots of all the culture and beliefs and, and assumptions that our culture has in place placed in us. And, and it's difficult work to untangle those and, and challenge those assumptions and do that work. And it creates cognitive dissonance. Um, yeah. And it's very unsettling. Right. But and so when you approach someone who is who is dogmatic, who's entrenched in dogma, if you hit them right out of the gate with all the reasons why they're wrong and all the facts of the matter, uh, they tend to retreat more into mm-hmm. their dogma. And so what Bogosian recommends is Putting aside that conversation, just talk about how we arrived at our beliefs, how we think about our beliefs, and and have a conversation about that. And so, uh, you know, he has little tricks like at, you you ask the person. Well, first of all, you have to approach them in a non-dogmatic way. He calls it in an in an uh, attitudinal disposition of doxastic openness. In other words, you're you're personally willing to revise your belief system if given reason and evidence to right And so and you, you approach you,
0: them literally wanting to know how they came to the right. conclusion. So you're not talking about the conclusion itself, but I really want to know, okay, Tim, yeah. how did you come to the conclusion that X
1: exactly and that's that's what he calls doxastic openness. It's like, okay, I want to know because I, I want my belief system to line up with the reality and if I'm wrong, I value that right that's kind of yeah. the attitude now if you approach someone dogmatically you, you have to start with that i mean if you come at them dogmatically you're never gonna get anywhere right
0: yeah. but then
1: what what you do what he recommends you do is get them thinking about their own belief system rather than challenging the belief system you get them to challenge their own belief system by asking them questions like you know on a scale of one to ten how sure are you of that belief what would you rate it? And if they say eight or nine or even 10, you ask what, what would it take to move that, that confidence in that belief down to say a seven or a six? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what reason and evidence could be presented to you or what arguments do you think could be presented that would move you that way? And then suddenly you get them thinking, okay, what would get them moved that way? So now they're actually internally almost attacking their own belief or challenging their own beliefs. Like what would yeah. get me there? What reason and evidence could be presented? And if they say they
0: nothing, ha- then that's right. clearly self-evident, likely. Right. It, this yeah. this uh, compares well with Alex Epstein's um, approach. I th- I forget the name of the talk he gave, but it's basically his intellectual persuasion approach. So his two. there's more to it, but the two main features of it are framing the conversation first, and so right. what that is is he literally will before talking about what their beliefs are, how they got their beliefs. He'll say, "Okay, what are we both trying to achieve?" So for climate, the climate debate, he'll say, "Like, okay, I want the ultimate number of humans to flourish." Type thing. Like, is that the f- framing we're using of what is our goal? So aligning that people have the same goal because that's a big gap. Right. That uh, that no matter if you. You cannot get over if you never talk and never understand if you just have completely different goals of what you're talking about. And then the second piece is he'll use opinion stories. So rather than trying to get them to understand how they came to their conclusion, you explain how you came to your conclusion rather than just saying what your conclusion is. And so that automatically comes across as less dogmatic. Um, So his example was his favorite book being Atlas Shrugged. He found that. Telling people it's the best book was a lot less effective than explaining why he viewed it as so valuable to himself, right? Which, right, right. which implicitly seems to make sense to to my brain, at least, right? Um, but yeah. so few people still try to communicate that way. And I well, think we yeah, have been and it, good at doing that generally, because I think yeah. we're both on also just honest in our working through what we're thinking. Like we are both trying to basically use each other as sounding boards for our own thoughts. And and it's, let's call it, you know, political or philosophical therapy. The therapist isn't supposed to tell you the answers. They're supposed to help your thinking get deeper and deeper into yourself.
1: Yeah, and you know, that first bit uh, uh, that Alex Epstein talks about is is so important, right? That clarifying, the framing the values right and so if, if, if in the climate debate you say I, I want to maximize human flourishing um, and someone else their their primary goal is to minimize environmental uh, impact mm-hmm. well you, you can't if you engage in a conversation or a dialogue or a debate with those two different frames, you're both arguing two different things. Exactly. You're literally speaking past each other and you will literally get nowhere and it's a waste. And so that's why it's so important to spend time focusing on what what, what framing are we starting from? Can we agree on that? And if we can't come to an agreement, then the conversation probably isn't gonna be very fruitful or, or worthwhile.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so now I wanna to shift to looking forward, What what you hope to accomplish moving forward, because it has been a bit more difficult for me to think of topics you know, off the top of my head or just like general political things to talk about. And as I mentioned earlier, the two things that seemed to have distilled out as larger topics are personal responsibility and this idea of uh, you know, masculine compassion and these sorts of things. Are you interested in kind of trying to target those or still, yeah, what are your thoughts in terms of the path forward uh, from here?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, that there's plenty of fertile ground, uh, yet to be uncovered. Right. And certainly, uh, those, those topics interest me. Um, you know, I, I, my goals, I think are in part to clarify my own thinking. that's been really valuable to me, but also to, uh, communicate these ideas, um, to the world. Right. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, w- another goal would be to, to get the podcast out there far and wide. And, you know, I've gotten lots of positive feedback. I know there's a few people that have reached out and are really big fans and it's really helped them uh, clar- clarify their thinking on some of these issues. And so, um, you know, if it's valuable to some people, I have to imagine it would be valuable to a lot more if, if we could get the podcast in front of them. So that would be another goal would be to get it in front of many people. And I think another area that might interest me as well is to, um, you know, if we can get our, our schedules Tuned to this is to start looking at at news stories that are in the media cycle and talking about them from a philosophical frame and and Mm. how we think about them as well um you know because because really that is what controls our attention these days that's what controls the attention of most people that would be consuming this podcast would be what's in the what's in the news cycle, because that's what fills up uh, their social media feeds, and they're trying to grapple with these questions and understand them. And I think um, approaching them from a a kind of a a philosophical perspective, and trying to reason through these, uh, these stories with first principles helps uncover, um, uh, helps us see through a lot of the rhetoric and the propaganda to the to the truth of the matter.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And that's good for me to know as well. So we can try and get a regular schedule and, and do that. My struggle has been that I care so little about almost everything in the news cycle. Right. So like I get that it's valuable to do and from like uh, getting people interested. But for like my own like value of spending my time and my thought process, it's been difficult for me to care about right. most of the garbage in the news.
1: Well, and and that is maybe an important thing to communicate as well, right? To, you know, why, why should we consume less news? Maybe why is it less of a value for you? Uh, other people might find it valuable to know that, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, but, but ultimately... This is what has people's attention. and and ultimately, you're a business guy now on on your way to creating a billion dollar empire. You got to give the people what they want, what they what they they want to consume, right? And if that's what they want to consume, let's meet them there. And you know, if you think it's unhealthy for them to be there, let's nudge them towards um, towards something else.
0: Yeah, that's fair. and that's the that's been the struggle I've had just generally over the past year of like marketing is social media and all of these things now. And it's like, okay, I'm trying, I want to make money so I can pay someone to care about this stuff because I find it silly, even though just not that people who engage in it are silly. I just care more about the philosophical principles that under undergird it, which is like, at this point, so many layers removed from what anyone's actually talking about. So it's difficult and I mean, even the the example that happened recently, I posted my, I, I hesitated, but then I posted a snippet from someone else's Twitter of something about the climate debate. And it was saying that, you know, we should think about why all of these students are protesting. And then right away, the response is that, well, we can't talk about that because th- that distracts from the fact that cl- the world is burning. And it's like, right. okay, <laughs> that's, like that's not my intention. My intention is we also need to talk about like the whole context. And so that's just the sort of, you know, environment that seems to exist. Um, I don't know if my social media circles are just sicker. Um, but I, I do understand. So I, I well, think it's, it, it,
1: yeah, I'll say this isn't the other kind of interesting thing about, um, um, you know, the yin and yang of this podcast here, you and me, right. Masculine, feminine, what, whatever you want to say it, objectivist, anarchist, um, you know you you have a very different bubble that you're in than i do right whereas yeah. my bubble is full of, of like these right-wing patriots and alt-righters and you know as well as the libertarian it, le- it definitely leans a lot more right yours seems to be more full- filled with uh, the left side oh, of yeah side. and so that's yeah. what i love about this because we're joining two worlds together we're trying to trying to merge them and and, and show people that they're they're not uh oppositional necessarily if you approach them from the perspective of liberty and first principles, you can have both types of focus on the world. And in fact, we need Mm. both types of focus. We need that uh, the the people that are willing to protect our, our liberties and focus on gathering resources and enforce boundaries, but we also need people within those boundaries and within that safe space focused on nurturing and sharing and encouraging compassion and different things like that. Uh, those those ought to be complementary but right now they are the enemies of each other and it's tearing civilization apart and, well, and, and our podcast is the only bridge holding civilization together right now as far as I can see.
0: I, I basically agree and the thing is that that's so funny is because I'm even willing to embrace your side at all, I'm outcasted right? I'm a well, I, horrible I, person. I, it, it,
1: if you watch the YouTube comments, I regularly get told to stop talking to this idiot and like, you know, <laughs> you're identified as being part of that other tribe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're the enemy and you're subverting me or something like that. And you have nothing, you know, and again, um, it's it's on both sides. <laughs> yeah,
0: I didn't know. That's good. It's actually good for me to hear that it's happening to you as well, because I thought it was just a trait of my my liberal uh, friend group.
1: Yeah, and I—I I mean, to be honest, I think it's a lot less common on the left or, or on the right or in my circles. You know, people seem right to really, now. I
0: think it is. Yeah,
1: but uh, but yeah, like, you know, thirty still years
0: some... ago, forty years ago, you were a traitor to the right very easily, right? Um, yeah, now so... it's like you're you're a traitor to the left very easily. I think that pen the pendulum of of it's it tends to go with whoever's the most against liberty also is the most protective of their tried So when the right was, you know, anti-gay marriage and they were winning that debate and all of these other, you know, uh, social conservative political correctness, when they were more in the mainstream, they were also more protective of people, you know, questioning them. And I think that's just shifted.
1: Right. Yeah. It, you know, Michael Malice calls it the cathedral, right? And um, right now the cathedral, the, this, um, this kind of uh, sacrosanct, uh, uh, a scripture of allowable belief and opinion is largely controlled by the left, and so yeah. anything that that goes outside that dogma is is hammered hard. They're they're sinners. They're evil. They're whatever, right? But yeah. you're right. I think that cathedral used to be primarily run by conservatives and the right, and you know any any leftist kind of opinion was seen as threatening to it. So.
0: Well, I think the funniest thing is like the young, the young people seem to be have gotten control of it, and they were used to being like the oppressed classes was the like the the game they played, and then it was like all of a sudden they got the power, and they're like they don't know another, they don't know what to do with it, so they just keep harping on the same uh, message, like oh we're still the oppressed class, we're still the oppressed class, whip whip the people down so they understand that they're the oppressed class
1: yeah and it's usually the most privileged in society that are making these claims, right? So it's kind yeah. of interesting. but
0: well, I appreciate you doing this reflection with me. It's give it's helped me kind of understand our path forward as well and and it's been good to hear uh, the value that you get mirrors the value I get. and that, like the fundamental thing that I came to originally was that politics aside, discussion is the most important thing. Discussion is how society moves forward. and it's I do believe that literally, from this conversation outward as we as we grow it, like this will be the starting point of these conversations. And it's important as well, because I do think the future is liberty minded. I do believe rationality will win out. And we're essentially the two sides of the liberty argument because we do not agree on everything. And there are still going to be differences in terms of you know, what is valuable to pursue and what is worth your time, but there's this underlying principle of why well, can't force you to do it and you can't force me to do it. But we want to figure out the answers together.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it, the, thought occurs to me that maybe we're marketing this thing all wrong. Maybe we shouldn't be using uh phallic jokes to make our <laughs> name, our podcast. It sounded cool to me at the start cause I'm a child, <laughs> but uh, may, maybe it ought to be um, something about, uh, you know, a leftist and a rightist or a, uh, the feminine and the mat, you know, that, that play on there's kind of adversarial worldviews by, by um you know, prevailing culture would call call these worldviews maybe adversarial. Uh, mm-hmm. But but we're at we're yet we're having constructive conversations here or something.
0: Well, I I, yeah, I agree. We could re- revisit the name. But I also think, you know, silly jokes are funny because I'm also a kid, which I think the fact that we're both kids, kids aren't dogmatic generally. Right. They They want to learn the truth. They're they believe in their own minds and they want to discover things. Why? 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 Right. Um, And also from most people's perspectives, they think we're on the same side. Right. Most people, most conservatives, most liberals both think that we're we would have identical views. Right. Like because we believe in liberty. Right. Yeah. Um, So it is interesting, but it's something to think about.
1: Yeah, definitely. Cool. Let's let's do let's do like 100 more of these at least.
0: At least. All right. Thanks, Tim. And if anyone has feedback and guidance for the uh, next 30, 40, 50, uh, let us know.
1: Yeah. What would you guys like to hear about? Uh, I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts and your feedback on that. Cool.